0: Welcome to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. My guest today is Colin Chifafa. Colin Chifafa is a seasoned executive of the mining industry in Zimbabwe. He joins me today in his capacity as the president of the Chamber of Mines of Zimbabwe. He was elected to the position this year in June. Colin, thank you very much for making the time to speak to the Shilakama Extractive Podcast.
1: Thank you, Sheila, and glad to, to
0: be here. Thank you. So I I thought, uh, you know, you could give us a sense of uh, what the thinking is in Zimbabwe with respect to citizen equity participation. In Zimbabwe, uh, it's called indigenization and and citizen equity participation policies in the mining sector have drawn a broad range of uh, responses and has been on the cards for some time. Can you tell us, what the status is of the proposed policy and legislation to date?
1: Thanks. So indigenization was introduced in 2008 Um, and it's evolved since that period. I think thinking around it has evolved and the current position really is that Government has realized I think they haven't achieved some of the objectives that they'd set out. So as we currently uh, sit, um, it's largely been suspended um, and mining companies are not obliged to to achieve uh, the indigenization levels. I think principally driven by the levels that were set in 2008 were quite high It was set at 51% had to be owned by indigenous Zimbabweans um, with the foreign investor being limited to a 49% shareholding. So this 51, 49% split, I think is largely what um, led to its objectives not not being achieved.
0: Sure. So, I mean, a lot of people were skeptical uh, or, sometimes downright opposed to the idea, uh, while some of course were supportive of the idea. Let's start with the, the critics of uh, the policy. What was the basic objection to the notion of uh, indigenization of the mining industry in Zimbabwe?
1: I think overall there was the policy and the need to have local participation was understood. However, the level is what um, people are uncomfortable with. Um, and largely also, I think there was an expectation that 51% would be given up for free um, and it would effectively become a free carry. So you'd expect the foreign shareholder to come and uh, provide 100% of the capital, but only realize 49% of the returns. That also be in a minority position um, and obviously capital has options um, and if you look within the region, I think South Africa had been pushing its uh, Black Economic Empowerment uh, legislation and they were set at a 26% level. So a lot of the foreign uh, mining companies saw this level of 51% as being too high and thus were not willing to, to effectively fund hundred percent but only get 49% of the return. The economics just didn't make sense.
0: Mm-hmm, so, so it was not so much an objection to citizens having shares, it was citizens having a free carried, but also in the order of magnitude of up to 51%. Yes. Uh, so so I think those,
1: yeah, so those are the two, two, two primary things.
0: So, you've sought foreign. So, does that mean then that this uh, policy only targeted uh, companies coming in and investing from outside? In other words, companies that were otherwise not already owned by Zimbabwean entities. Let let me be uh, specific. So, if I came in as a foreign investor, then I'd have to give up, at least as far as the legislation was contemplated at the time, I'd have to forfeit 51% of the investment I've made. What happens if uh, a Zimbabwean entity, which is privately owned invests, uh, is the government content that citizens do not have to be given a uh, free carriage. Is that sufficient to meet the objectives of this policy?
1: So the, the policy, a couple of things. So first it defined indigenous Zimbabweans or historically disadvantaged, similar to the South African concept of historically disadvantaged. Okay. As somebody who prior to independence in 1980, um, was um, precluded from participating in the economy. So basically, black Zimbabweans. Um, and secondly, it looked at the ultimate beneficiary. So if you came as Sheila okay, you um, from Botswana, and let's say you've been invested in Zimbabwe for the last 20 years, you had a mining concern. When this legislation came into being, because ultimately you are not a black Zimbabwean, you would have been Uh, obliged to give up 51% of your mining business to Black Zimbabweans. That really, I think was the concept uh, behind the legislation. So any foreign owned company that was already operational or any new company that sought to come in and exploit um, resources in Zimbabwe would have to partner 5149 with Black Mm
0: Zimbabweans. No, I understand. So it wasn't really about uh... Um, Zimbabweans per se in in legal terms, it was uh, previously disadvantaged Zimbabweans who in the context of Zimbabwe's history would have been Black people. And the state would take a view regardless of who the investor was, including those from the region, including other Blacks from the region. The notion was to carve out this unique space for Zimbabweans who were seen to have been previously disadvantaged. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So the, 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 the policy aimed to benefit historically disadvantaged Zimbabweans.
0: So, sure. So let's look at uh, the notion of free carry. Why free carry? In your understanding, why was the state advocating for free carry? Because it seems to me, if Sheila comes from Botswana to invest in Zimbabwe and I have to give 51% uh, of my potential return, basically what you're saying as uh, the policymaker in Zimbabwe is that Sheila should make right the wrongs of Zimbabwe's past. Is that a correct interpretation?
1: Yes, that's a correct interpretation. And I think what drove government's view was the view which said, and I think this was raised in some of the engagements we had with with, um, the relevant ministers at the time, was that the resource in the ground has a value. Um, And any foreign investor coming in who brings capital to exploit that resource, if you look and you do a valuation, in their minds, the resource in the ground was sufficient Uh, to make up at least 51% of the value that the mining entity that you put together is likely to be worth. So because you're exploiting a a national resource um, which has value, um, that value that we are contributing as Zimbabweans is worth at least 51%. Therefore, the return that any foreign investor could make would be limited to um
0: 49 percent hmm. so it is true that this is a national asset but that is not uh, unique to zimbabwe minerals are a national asset uh worldwide the second thing is that precisely because it is a valuable economic asset why give it for free uh to one person or two people at the expense of uh, the 18 or so odd million Zimbabweans.
1: Agree, And these are some of the some of the conceptual debates we had to say if you look at most regions and even in Zimbabwe, mining companies pay a royalty. Um, and the royalty is a percentage of uh revenue, and that goes into the fiscus, and that royalty in its the part of the reason why companies pay royalty is to, for the fact that they're exploiting a national resource. Um, so now on top of that, to then, as you've said, benefit one or two individuals who will partner with that, with that mining company um, is discriminatory. So yeah, there are a lot of uh, policy inconsistencies if, if you start digging into, in, in, into some of the rationale
0: that were being advanced at the time. Um, Let's uh, look at uh, the current uh, dispensation. At the moment, uh, Zimbabwe as a sovereign state has its own mining uh, holding company and some uh, fairly active subsidiaries. When we were contemplating indigenization. Was this intended to substitute state ownership as, if you wish, the agent of the Zimbabwean public? Or was this intended to be in addition to the state's already fairly significant footprint in the mining industry?
1: So I'll start maybe with the last part. My understanding, I think this was in addition. to the significant state uh, stake that the state already had. Um, however, what we found, and I think what largely uh, prevails is that whilst the state mining entities um, might own resources, they don't have the capital to invest and bring those uh, resources um, into operation. Obviously, the government's got competing uh, priorities and investing in mining, I think, ranks low in terms of government's priority. So a lot of those assets are sitting idle. Um, And really, government was looking, I think, to effectively redistribute um, the cake that was there by ensuring that indigenous Zimbabweans participate um, in the economic activity. So really, I think it was a, a form of resource nationalism um, we sought to achieve certain political, social, and economic objectives uh, in government's eyes.
0: Hmm. It, it is true uh, what you're saying about uh, the lack of resources and pe- perhaps technical uh, wherewithal for the state to develop these resources. I remember a very strange conversation I had with the CEO and chap man of uh, the mining state-owned entity indicating that of the 30-odd companies the state owns, 20 had never operated, which is mm. staggering and a, a tragic, uh, if you wish, uh, sterilization of real assets which, uh, if developed, could probably change the lives of the average uh, Zimbabwean, And, and so uh, I do think that it's important for the state to take a leadership role, especially as uh, uh, a custodian of these resources. But the leadership role must not be one that hinders economic development. In, on the contrary, it should be one that unleashes. And in this uh, sense, I, I wonder whether you have a view when you think of the legislations that the state has uh, promoted so far, how successful or unsuccessful has the state been in promoting mining and attracting investment in a way that is beneficial to the lot of the Zimbabweans?
1: So I think if you look at this indigenization, that's why in a way, I think there's been a rethink within government to say, whilst the objectives we were seeking to achieve were noble, I think the reality is that we are achieving the opposite, um, opposite of what we seek to achieve. So obviously investment into mining in Zimbabwe as a result of digitization um, was curtailed. Um, and there was a realization, I think with the new uh, leadership that we need to create an enabling environment that uh, allows for investment in mining to create jobs, to uh, increase tax revenues and to lead to development. Because a lot of mining companies, um, because the access resources that are remote areas do create uh, growth, whether it's new towns, roads, um, infrastructure really um, that, that benefits the community long after the mine the mine has has gone. So there was a pullback on the need for indigenization. Um I think the process of, of uh, doing that and, and repealing the legislation is still in, in in hand. And really, there's a thrust now to try and say how can we get uh, mining to to lead uh, growth in Zimbabwe. Government's also, I think, been looking to dispose of some of the idle assets that it had, put those into private hands, get them operational, get them to employ people and really benefit um, um, the broader broader country. So there there has been a rethink. I think there's been a realization that um, the the way it was implemented was, not achieve the objectives they want to achieve therefore i think there's been a rethink in, in how, how what needs to be done and i think at the moment the priority has been let's get the economy going let's get jobs going i think zimbabwe's unemployment rate is over 80 percent so any new jobs that can come in um will, will help uplift um the country
0: yes indeed so let's follow that uh, line of thought because uh Of course, these laws aren't for the sake of themselves. The the laws are made for purposes of uh, managing the economy for the benefit of of citizens. My sense, Colin, is that we should avoid the temptation to throw away the uh, baby with the bathwater. The truth of the matter is that, as you said, the decision by the government to want to create a level playing field or at least I create opportunities for people otherwise previously disenfranchised, it's a valid one. Yes. So it seems to me that the issue really is not the policies, the issues are the modalities for realizing that vision. One of the, the, the challenges that I perceive is just the importance of the governance of that process as it relates to transparency. What in your view uh, would be the best way to select uh, individuals uh, to partner with foreign entity, carried or not. Because my sense is that one of the challenges is that there tends to be, uh, if you wish, political acronism, and people are elected for their affiliation with certain uh, ideologies and not because they are the right people. How can we uh, overcome uh, this challenge in your view?
1: I think, thanks uh, and, and a great question. I, and I think in my mind, there are certain vulnerable groups that we need to, to ensure participate. Um, if you look at the communities around a particular mining uh, venture, they predominantly are the ones that um, suffer should there be any negative consequences from uh, the mine, Um, even whether it's roads, even noise from um, any explosions um, that needs to take take place. So I think we need to involve communities, Um, we can involve employees, but also I think to try and get transparency and, and as you say, to avoid Um, where people who are affiliated to certain political powers benefit. We need to look at possibly listing some of these um, stakes. So if let's say we agree maybe 20% is a nice number, you can say there's possibly 5% for employees, 5, 10% for community and the remainder, you then list on on an exchange and any Black Zimbabwean can then participate, not on the basis that I'm close to the ministry of mine officials or or the ruling party or anything like that. So we we need to open it up um, to all Zimbabweans um, to be able to participate in a transparent manner um, with little discretion. I think where you give discretion to, to officials, that's where I think you end up with a few individuals benefiting uh, to the detriment of, of, of the rest of the country.
0: This notion uh, of uh, you know floating uh, shares in the stock market and therefore enabling anybody with some means to participate, I think on face value works. but is it not fair to say it would work for the elite in other words, people who understand how the stock market uh, functions? Uh, that, you know, while it would go a long way to avoiding discretionary decisions, we would still come a little short in terms of uh, being able to reach grassroots. Would that be fair?
1: Possibly, but I think by, by, by ensuring that you take care of the communities around the operation and employees, these are the ones who are, in my mind, are vulnerable and unlikely to be able to, to raise. So if you set up a mining venture in some rural community, uh, the rural folk in that area are unlikely to understand how shares and stock exchanges work. But if you create a mechanism, whether it's a trust or whatever, that that, that caters for their participation uh, in that venture, you've, you've somehow catered for, for the vulnerable. Um, and then for the residual portion, make that available to, to the rest of the country, the, the ones who might have resources um, to, to participate. And whether you put a cap or try and make it as broad-based as possible, I think that really will try and, and, and make it more transparent and, and cater for 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 everyone.
0: Yeah. The, the, I mean, I think, as I said, I think that is certainly better than the uh, less transparent way in which we have seen this done in uh, the region and other parts of the world. Uh, Even though it is not perfect, it it does go some way to increasing transparency. Certainly looking at the plight of the communities in the vicinity of the mine uh, during and post mining, I think is also uh, something worth uh, considering and certainly is aligned to the uh, ESGs as uh, we have come to know, uh, you know the issue now. Let me ask you, uh, you know, something else. I mean, you mentioned the notion of resource nationalism. That in itself is a red flag uh, for investors. While Zimbabwe has every right Uh, morally and economically to want to right the wrongs of the past. What are the chances that an unintended consequence of doing this is that we don't attract uh, investment because we are not competitive? Because to your point, uh, for every dollar that we invest, if we only recoup up to 80% of the equity, then obviously, you know, it's a sunken uh, uh, cost. Uh, how do we square this, do you think, uh, Colin?
1: Um, in my mind, I think if transactions are done for value, um, I think most investors do not have a, a problem having um, locals as, as partners um, in their business. I think we're most, from my experience, most, um, investors have issues is where there has to be a free carry which means somebody is, is getting something for not doing anything um, and we've seen models where investors with a vendor fund um, those uh, participants who might not have the resource those sorts of things can be built in but I think where one generally tends to have a, a free carry that's where I think most investors tend to push back because when you then, cost and gross gross up, the cost and the returns that the project needs to give you um, need to be much, 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 higher. So a lot of a lot of other projects then don't get invested in. But if you can do transactions which are for value, um, I think most most investors will don't have a problem with with having um, local participation. True. Uh, I
0: mean um i'm thinking uh, as i contemplate this that on one level as i said we have the concept and the aspiration on another we have the execution and 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 a huge part of the problem we are dealing with is in the space of how we execute this in a way that does not destroy economic value of the minerals but while at the same time creating greater opportunities for the Zimbabweans. But I can't help thinking that one of the most challenging things that any such policy I will face is the capacity of those investing in mining to raise capital because finances will look upon such project and, and, and look at the potential return and think, why would I do that? At the same time, if we are looking at Zimbabweans and wanting them to participate, whether uh, you know through direct equity acquisition or through uh, purchase of shares in the public, there isn't uh, much by way of capital in the country, is there? And if so, how do we cross that bridge?
1: Um, I think, so I think there's two elements um, and I suppose this is an area we haven't really explored is around one of the uh, the flaws with the indigenization model was that it focused principally on equity and as you know um, shareholders in a business are usually the last to get paid Um, so you mine you generate whatever product you pay your employees you pay your suppliers you pay government taxes and only after everybody else has been paid whatever remains in the pot is what's then given to shareholders and mining by nature tends to be long term. And it takes a while before businesses because you sink your capital up front, and then you seek to recoup it uh, over the life of the mine, And it takes a number of years before you have recouped and are able to start paying dividends. So I think one needs to balance this focus on equity with a focus maybe on empowerment um, and local. Uh, procurement and and things that that will give a return in, in a shorter period of time. So, yes, I think one needs to balance the equity side, but also one needs to balance the the, the empowerment um, initiatives that companies can get involved in. Where if you can get local local companies to start supplying some of the equipment or materials uh, or consumables that are used in mining they will be able to set up businesses outside of the mine gate um, that sustain livelihoods within, within the country and within the communities. So I think one needs to balance the two um, to get to a sustainable, sustainable solution.
0: Yes, the, the point you make is a valid one, uh, both from the perspective of a solution that is uh, sustainable in the long term, but also because you and I, speak now about equity. It's not self-evident to uh, everyone that just because you have equity doesn't mean you are going to immediately reap uh, rewards, that equity brings with it some level of risk. And that particularly in mining, you know, and, and particularly startups, it, you know, investors wait a while before they get a real return. And, and I fear that we are unduly simplistic in our discussions of equity in the assumption that ownership in legal terms translates directly and immediately into our financial returns. And you as a mining executive know this more than anybody else. How important is it then that these policies are accompanied by public education so that the public knows what uh, it's getting into?
1: Very crucial. So I think. The education needs not only to be of the public, but I think even needs to start with our, our lawmakers um, to ensure that they fully understand um, how mining is, is different from, 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 from other businesses. So I think once uh, lawmakers understand, um, they'll then craft laws that uh, take into account the unique requirements of, of the mining industry and and then also definitely public education um would they would then need to follow that so everyone is on the same page and um, whatever policies then agreed on is one that's got a high likelihood of of success
0: yes because otherwise we we risk unintended consequences uh leading to a fallout wherein uh, you have a community that has invested and the community expects to get a check every month or every uh, quarter or every six uh, months or every year, and the community waits five years and the check never comes, but they still have equity. Because I think, you know, it, it, it's it, it's not uh, everybody who understands the, the risk that comes with uh, being a shareholder. Let me ask you something else. I mean, It's all very good, uh, the state uh, taking a leadership role uh, and creating an environment in which citizens uh, have an opportunity to have a meaningful stake, not just in equity terms, but also in terms of decisions. And as you rightly said, the entire uh, mineral value chain. But do we do uh, this at the risk of the state becoming, paternalistic uh, and how do we avoid the risk that there is, uh, if you wish, unreasonable expectations of the state to always carry uh, the citizens in ways that goes beyond mere provision of social welfare services as is considered the appropriate role of the state.
1: I agree. So suppose it, 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 it depends. Um, a, a lot of suppose what underlies a lot of these policies in my mind is the trust deficit between government on the one hand and largely multinationals on the other hand. Because you find that the multinationals are the biggest investors in, in the mining operations. And if there is this trust deficit between, between the two government then feels that they potentially are not getting the best deal on the table and the only instrument that is within their hands that they can use is legislation and at times because parties are not talking to each other and don't trust each other um, one takes decisions um, that they believe uh, will protect the interests of the people And government I think tends to take this paternalistic view because it feels that unless it does that, um, those mine communities or ordinary Zimbabweans will be exploited and it's then they see it as their role uh, to ensure that the country gets gets a fair deal. So I think hand in hand with, with, with this, I think there needs to be increased engagements between the business community and government, we spoke about the need to educate so that everybody understands the entire value chain and ultimately how best can we then share um, the value that is created by a mining entity. I think that really lies at the root of the indigenization legislation um, or even resource nationalism. At at the root of it is, is a perception by locals that they're not getting a fair deal.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you are right about that. Having said that, if, if you look at uh, other countries in the world where the notion of local does not uh, import the same, if you wish, racial undertones, the same uh, colonial legacy undertones that it does in southern Africa. If you look at uh, whether it's the EU or the UK or the US, protectionism is very much part of uh, most countries' uh, national uh, industrial policies. And so in this sense, uh, my sense is that Zimbabwe and other countries in the region really don't have much to to explain. This is what countries do. Countries think first about sovereign interests. My uh, difficulty with these policies is their lack of effectiveness, which is to say their lack of uh, uh, clear, justifiable, and beneficial deliverables to the citizens. What you call it in my books calling doesn't matter. Mm? Yeah. What it delivers is what matters. And, and it is that for 40 years or so, Zimbabwe is just contemplating this. What, I can't help thinking, Why in God's name have we been? if you see what I mean. Uh, and, and so I, I'm not troubled by other people's perception of it. I'm troubled by uh, the capacity for the indigenization policies that have been contemplated to, to deliver uh, to what uh, you know, they are intended. And, and I just wonder uh, whether you think I make too much an issue of it uh, but I do think that, uh, in the end, the proof is in the pudding.
1: No, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I think that's why Edo, we're saying, I think, to me, there's a need to educate our lawmakers. Um, and generally, I think part of I suppose, the problem is we cannot escape our colonial legacy or history. Um, and. Part of the reason I think also is that those who tend to end up in politics, typically very few of them come from a business perspective. So somehow there needs to be this shared knowledge between our politicians and business executives to then actually craft something that can be implemented and that has a high likelihood of success. At the moment, I think the politicians tend to, to work in their own corner and business works in its own corner. So I've got this silo mentality between the two, and one just reacts to the actions of, of the other. Um, and yeah, so we need to capacitate our lawmakers as best as we can to understand these things so that we then come up with uh, policies that um, will benefit Zimbabweans and have a high likelihood, once implemented, of, of success.
0: Fantastic, well, I think that is a good note to close our conversation for now. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. Uh, I'm sure that uh, we will stay in touch and watch development as uh, you and your members uh, strive to improve and add to Zimbabwe's mineral wealth. Thank you very much for your time, uh, Colin.
1: Thanks very much uh, Sheila and have a have a have a great day
0: thank you